Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. chapter number seven, and we're going to continue along the lines that we have over the last several Wednesday nights. And that is about evangelism, effective end-time evangelism. And I don't pretend to be an expert in this area, but I believe that the Bible has the answers. And I know one thing, we need to do our best to impact our world. And I believe that's a mandate of the Word of God, is that we do our best to impact our world. Can I get a hearty amen about that? Praise God. We need to make a, world talks about a footprint. What that means is simply that there's residue that something's been here. And so I think every apostolic ought to live their life leaving footprints behind that I've been here and uh, people being uh, stirred by our witness and our life and I want to talk about another facet of that we've talked about uh, the role of the Holy Ghost and being sensitive to the Spirit of God in, in evangelism and I believe that's very key that we be sensitive we, we talked about it from the perspective of Acts chapter number 8 where Philip being led uh, by the Lord into the desert that was called Gaza to reach a soul and it went against every bit of his logical thinking to go do that because he was in the midst of a great revival at Samaria yet the Lord directed him to go down into a desert place where there was no city, nobody to his knowledge but yet there was a soul that was searching the scripture this Ethiopian and the result was he was baptized in Jesus name and so we know that the Lord we know that the Lord will direct us if we're sensitive we've talked about uh, the role of prayer how that in Acts chapter 3 Peter and John went up together the temple and uh, maybe they'd passed that fellow many times at the gate beautiful but this particular time the scripture says that they reached out and uh, explained to him they didn't have anything as far as monetary things to give to him reached out grabbed him by the right hand, pulled him up, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And the scripture says that the end result of that was is that many souls, many souls were saved, 5,000 to be exact. And that's a lot of souls because of these men that were prayerful. So prayer has a role in evangelism. Can you say amen? And then uh, we talked about the supernatural and miracles and how that that is so important and has a role. I want to talk about another facet of it here tonight, and I will not belabor you with a lot of readings, so we're going to uh, really just catch the the very ending of a story here in the six, seventh chapter, rather, of the book of Acts, uh, verse 58. This is talking about Stephen, and it says, And cast him out of the city, and stoned him 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled, knelt down, kneeled down, and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or he died in King James language here. I, I want you to notice there was some eyewitnesses here of this account. In particular, the man Saul, who would later, after his conversion, become the Apostle Paul. And the Scripture says in this particular setting that he was a witness of this. He saw the response of Stephen, and I believe that this had an impact upon him. So I want to talk about our ability to be a witness to our world by how we respond to life's setbacks, to life's trials, to the valleys that we have to walk through, the circumstances that may not be as we'd like them to be, but nevertheless it's life, and how we react to it. And I simply want to call this tonight, the world is watching. The world is watching. Praise the Lord. And I do believe that. I believe there's people in your world that are watching you. They're watching how you handle adversity. They're watching how you deal with things in life. So let's pray for the Lord's help. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're asking you to help us here tonight. We're praying for your touch, praying for your guidance your hand of anointing and favor to be upon us in this service. We know, God, that without you, we can do nothing at all, so we depend upon you and your strength. I'm praying that you'd bless this people tonight, bless your word to their hearts, in Jesus' name. And everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to back up just a little bit and give you maybe the platform that this passage stands upon. The book of Acts, we know, is an inspired, because all Scripture is divinely inspired of the Lord and is profitable, the Bible says. So there's not a verse in your Bible that's not profitable to you. It, it may be genealogy. It may be something that you're not as interested in. And sometimes when you read through the Old Testament and there's things that you don't understand and don't fit into your culture, it's hard to see how that it is profitable. But the Bible says that all Scripture is, first of all, divinely inspired, and then it's profitable to us, and it'll give strength and help to us. The book of Acts is an inspired history book of the early church. And it's also a book of transition between uh, the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, the epistles, and it tells us really the history of what the apostles whom the church is founded upon, and uh, we know that the Bible says that it's built upon the apostles' doctrine, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So the actions of the apostles is really is what is recorded here, and that's why we call it the book of Acts. And really there is three 
outstanding personalities that you read about in the book of Acts. First of all, of course, Simon Peter. And uh, this is a man of action. This is a man who preached the inaugural message of the church in Acts chapter number 2. This is the man that Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom to. And he preached that powerful message on the day of Pentecost which we still live and abide by, and that is Acts 2.38, repentance, Jesus' name, baptism, and the unfilling of the Holy Ghost. But then there's another personality that I want to talk about and really center upon here, and that is Stephen. And really Stephen is the hinge person or the transitional person between Simon Peter and the Apostle Paul. Really, you'll find out that as you read the book of Acts and study it closely, the first portion or the first half is about Simon Peter, the things that he did, his ministry, and then there's this short little space between involving Stephen, and then it goes on and tells about the conversion of the Apostle Paul and the feats and the ministry of the Apostle Paul and he was, of course, an apostle to the Gentiles, while Simon Peter was an apostle to the Jews. And we understand that, that Stephen here is the link, really, between the two. Uh, Stephen, I, I want to give you a little bit of a background about Stephen. As we read in, in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, we find that the church is expanding and it's growing at a very rapid rate. Uh, multitudes of people are coming into the church. And as a result of this, some of the needs such as the care of widows and the feeding of widows and different ones that did not have the ability to care for themselves because of their handicaps. Their needs were not being met and this caused quite a a stir, and they begin to deliberate about what they were going to do to meet these particular needs. And they come up with this. This was the conclusion that they needed to choose seven men that were full of the Holy Ghost and had an honest report and uh, let these men take charge and leadership in some areas of the church, and they would continue to give themselves, the apostles, to uh, prayer and ministry of the Word. So you can see that they had a leadership paradigm shift that was taking place. They had grown and flourished to the point that one man or just a few men could not take care of all the needs. And so they were going to have to place faith in other leaders and let them be used of God in their uh, particular roles that God had called them to and be effective in those roles. So Stephen was one of those men. And so just giving us a little characteristics about what kind of man Stephen was, Acts chapter 6 tells us that he was one of these men that was of an honest report. In other words, if we could say it in modern vernacular, we would say that this was a man of integrity. This was a man that had a good reputation, not only with people in the church, but I'm sure people outside of the church. In his business dealings, he had a good reputation. In his finances, he had a good reputation. 
way he conducted himself and in his communication he could not be charged with having any evil communication but he was a man that was uh, of a good report, honest report. He was not a liar. He was not a man that was given to anything that was untrue. He was pure in his motives. He was a man of integrity. Can I just stop right there and tell you that the world is watching us in this particular area of our lives, in our daily dealings with people and the way that we handle ourselves, how that we conduct ourselves in our community. And I know that, that uh, we are human like anybody else is. Can you say amen? And when we're treat, treated unfairly or wrongly, there's that human side of us that perhaps wants to rise up and respond in kind. But can I just tell you that it may be better for us to be restrained in the Holy Ghost and realize that it's more important that I be a witness for God than it is for me to blow off a little steam in this situation and that I be godly and be a witness because somebody might be watching. Like the preacher was driving down the expressway and somebody cut him off and uh, he said, man, I pushed on the accelerator, pulled up beside him and was just getting ready to give him a piece of my mind when all of a sudden I looked and I saw on their back windshield a sticker that was the logo of our church. And actually the sticker was, was something like meet us at, at this church. And actually they were driving to church on that Sunday morning when he was in a hurry to get there to preach his sermon. And they cut him off and so... Uh, or pulled out in front of him, and so he was going to tell him, hey, don't you know i got better and more important business than to have to deal with you on the expressway, and realize that they were probably going to hear him preach that morning. He was so thankful that he restrained himself. So, having integrity is a positive thing. If we've not got integrity, it's really going to be impossible for us to make an impact on anybody. First of all, we've got to have uh, a connection of respect with people. They, they've got to respect us before they'll ever be interested in letting down the guard, opening the door to their heart and saying, come on, witness to me. Tell me something about Jesus. First of all, you've got to act like Jesus before you can tell somebody about Jesus. And this world is sick of people that are, uh, well, hypocritical, say one thing and do another, what they're looking for is somebody that will exemplify Jesus. Can you say praise the Lord? And then we understand that in Acts 6 and 10 that they were not able at his speaking and preaching, they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. That's fascinating to me. They were not able to resist the wisdom. Now the Bible says of a soul winner that he is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. Is that what the scripture says? Uh, now we've often said you become wise through winning souls. I don't believe that that's what the scripture is actually indicating here. I believe what the scripture is trying to say is that if you win souls, 
you have to use wisdom in order to do it. Can you say praise the Lord? You need wisdom of the Word of God. More than just knowledge of the Word of God because knowledge, knowledge is not all that is needed here because wisdom is appropriated knowledge. That's really what wisdom is, is appropriated knowledge. You can know things and not, not be wise, not use wisdom. I mean, you can know all the laws and still not be wise and break all those laws. Amen? You can quote the Scripture like a champion Bible quizzer and still not be obedient to the Word of God, and that's not being wise. And if you're not wise, you can, well, you can force-feed things to people that their spirit is not ready for. And this is one of the areas that we've got to be wise if we're going to be soul winners. I know we like to come out as apostolics with guns blazing and say, you know what? You don't have the truth. I got the truth. Bless God. Let me blow you out of the saddle. Let me give you some scriptures here that proves that I got the truth. I'm going to tell you, you can't feed anybody that's not hungry, first of all. And so what you need to do is use wisdom to chum the waters a little bit to develop an appetite for that person to desire the things of the Scripture and the Word of God. Oh, yeah. That's important. You know you can, you can whet somebody's appetite. My grandmother knew how to do that. I mean, she knew how to light that stove up. I mean, an hour or so before dinner and get something going there. An aroma would fill the air. And, I mean, she didn't have to ask whether or not you were hungry when dinner come around because you may not have been hungry the hour that you walked into the house, but by the time dinner was set on the table, you were sure enough hungry. That's called wetting somebody's appetite. There's many ways that we can do that. We can, first of all, live a life that is so distinct live a life of joy and completeness that people are able to detect when they come in contact with you that there's something different about your experience than most so-called Christians that they come in contact with. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in that because there's a lot of so-called Christians in this city and throughout this Bible Belt. But I'm going to just tell you something. What makes the distinction is a spirit-filled apostolic that's got the Holy Ghost and is not afraid to let it radiate, not afraid to let it shine. And that is also, and I'm getting, I'm getting on in my message, but that was also something that Stephen had. He had something that radiated off his countenance. That It was a picture that the Apostle Paul couldn't get out of his mind every time he, he thought uh, about uh, the, the New Testament church that was in Jerusalem. He thought about that saint of God, Stephen, and the impact that Stephen had made upon his life. Can you say praise the Lord? So wisdom and then the spirit in which he communicated with using wisdom to communicate, and then also having the right spirit when you communicate. You know you can present the truth with the wrong spirit. Amen. You can beat somebody's brains out with a claw hammer or a new Thompson chain. Amen. You can get the job done either way. 
You're not going to beat the truth in anybody. They've got to accept the truth. And so we present the truth when that perfect opportunity, when we're led of the Holy Ghost, presents itself. And I'm not saying that we say, well, I'm not going to witness to them because the Holy Ghost ain't led me to witness to them yet. Don't be ignorant. I mean, you know, everybody we come in contact with, it would be appropriate that we invite them to the house of God, that we always look for the door and the opportunity to do that. So don't, don't take this too far as an excuse not to witness. But what I am saying, as you whet their appetite and work with them, see, a lot of times we, we, want, we, want, we want to be effective uh, immediately. We want to catch a fish right now. We want to be able to reel it in right now. Sometimes you've got to chum the waters, and then you've got to come back and throw out the line. Sometimes you've got to keep baiting. Sometimes you've got to th- try more than one thing in the tackle box. But what, what you've got to have if you're going to be a good fisherman, especially a, a good fisher of souls, is you've got to have persistence. You've got to have determination. You've got to have your mind made up. I'm going to win somebody to God, and I, and I can't just be focused in on just one person all the time. And, and just make this one heart case uh, my, my test case for whether or not I'm a soul winner. Amen. Get you a trot line. Amen. And bait that thing up and go for as many people as you can, but don't give up. And just wait and, and keep on doing what you know to do, and God will give the increase in those situations. Praise the Lord. And so he, he had the right spirit. People are are attracted to a person that has a good Holy Ghost spirit. A person that's filled with the Holy Ghost that that portrays a a sense of having a good attitude and a good spirit about them and is approachable. This is is important. Then Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 it says, And Stephen, and we had our evangelist here not too long ago that used this verse of Scripture and did such an effective job, but I want to reiterate said, and Stephen, full of faith, and as he talked about on that particular night, he talked about faith and the need for faith being elevated. You need to have faith, folks, that just like God saved you, he can save them. You need to have faith, folks. It doesn't matter what they appear like. It doesn't matter how steeped in sin. It doesn't matter what you find out about them as far as how engrossed in sin that they may be or how far away from God that they may be, it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you the same God that saved you and pulled you up out of that miry clay can pull them up out of that miry clay. There's no addiction. There's no problem. There's no challenge that is too great for my God. This gospel has the power to save. Amen. So elevate your faith a little bit that I'm not working with inferior equipment here. I'm not working with an inferior message here that I've got to to help along. The gospel is able to deliver. The gospel is able to save souls. The gospel is able to transform people's lives. You believe that? Praise the Lord. And so that's important that we maintain that faith And the Bible said, and power. And really what this is referring to is authority. Full of faith. I mean, he was full of faith. 
Bible said he was full of the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of fools in this, not fools, F-O-O-L, F-U-L-L. There's a lot of, you see this term fool many times in this story. He was full of faith and power, meaning he had authority. If there's anything we need to do is exercise the authority that God has given us in the spirit realm. We need to realize when we got the Holy Ghost, we didn't get just a little dab of something. When we got the Holy Ghost, we didn't get something that uh, is inferior to any other power of this world. But the Bible tells me that greater is he that is within me, speaking of the Holy Ghost, than he that is in the world. We need to have and exercise that authority. We, we need to flex our muscles a little bit in the spirit realm and realize, devil, you're not, you're not going to conquer us. Amen. Devil, I'm not going to be intimidated by you. And I'm not going to let some agnostic, atheist, or demonic person or someone that's being influenced by all of those things thwart me, discourage me, Keep me from being effective as a soul winner. I come in the name of Jesus, not in my own name. I come in the power of God, not in myself. I represent, I'm an ambassador, the Bible says, of a great kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God in the earth. Praise the Lord. And so we need to understand that and exercise that authority. And then through that, he was able, the scripture goes on to say, and did great wonders and miracles among the people. And we talked about the effect that miracles have in reaching the lost. Most of the miracles that you read about in the Gospels, in uh, the New Testament, were miracles that were given for the express purpose of a soul being saved. Amen? In fact, it was to elevate people's faith so that they would have faith that, of course, Jesus Christ was the Messiah or God manifest in the flesh and they would be able to believe him for the salvation of their souls. Amen. Praise God. And, and so miracles have a role in all of this. Praise the Lord. And so when Stephen finished preaching in Acts chapter 7, I've given you a little background on Stephen, but let us get to the story here. Stephen is, is preaching, and man, I'm, I'm telling you, he's referring to uh, Abraham and Moses, and he's, he's got a, a grasp on the Old Testament, the Word of God, and, and he's, he's, he's ratcheting it on down, and he's coming on to his altar call here, and he's been preaching with fervor and anointing, and he makes some strong statements, some statements that people didn't like, some some statements that run against the grain of religion of that day. And that is in verse 48, he said, How be it the Most High. Now, you got to understand when he made this statement how the people viewed Solomon's temple, how that they viewed uh, uh, the temple that was there and how ritualistic it was in their minds. And he said, Let me tell you something. Solomon built him a house, how be it, in verse 48, 
The Most High dwelleth not in the temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is his throne and earth my footstool. That house will ye build me. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, and what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all of these things? And he went on, and this is where he starts getting on the fighting side. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in ear and heart, a heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? You tell me about one God-sent prophet that you guys didn't persecute him. You guys didn't turn a deaf ear to him. You guys didn't rebel against them. And then on in verse 53, he says, Who received the law by the disposition of angels and had not kept it. You've been rebellious against God. And I mean he's ratcheting it down until the Scripture says they grew so angry They grew so mad at him in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. I mean, it got right down where they were living, in other words. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, I've made some people mad in my lifetime preaching the gospel. But I never, I've had people chew on me with their words. But I've never had anybody chew on me actually with their teeth although their words sometimes felt like it was their teeth. But anyway, uh, they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, I don't know if that's a figure of speech there or just what it is, but that's pretty mad, I just have to say. Uh, That's angry, wouldn't you agree? I mean, those folks are upset at the preaching of Stephen. Now, uh, the Bible says that they ran him out of their city. They rejected him. And I'm going to just state this. If you're going to be a a child of God, a true child of God, in this world that is so decadent and evil and unclean, you are not always going to fit in with the crowd. Sometimes, in fact, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Sometimes, and you should stand out head and shoulders above the rest. You should stand out like the three Hebrew boys that would not bow. Amen. When you walk down through a crowd of people, folks ought to be able to pick you out in this world we're living in. Amen. They ought to see something different about your not only your dress, but your countenance and your spirit and your whole attitude and your demeanor as well as the way that you dress. Can you say amen to that? And, and, and I, I think it's very imperative that we, we understand that God did not place us in this world to, to fit in with everything. It's awful quiet in here, but I'm still preaching the truth, and as far as I know, I'm still in the Bible, praise the Lord. So I still expect you to say amen. Praise God. And, and so you understand that... that uh, uh, Stephen is a standout, and he he is rejected. Now you have to deal with rejection, and that can be a difficult thing sometimes. 
excluded from certain groups, excluded from certain cliques in the school, excluded from certain peer groups and people, and maybe even folks that in their innocence, not understanding, may even question or talk about you. That's a feeling of rejection that comes. Stephen knew what it was to be rejected. And yet he maintained a right spirit. How do you respond? Do you, do you, do you, get, a, do you get a shell around you and, and you, you, you have a little pushback in your spirit when you're rejected by, by people that don't understand that you're an apostolic and you live for God and you can't go along with the drinking party. You can't go along with, with uh, uh, going out uh, and, and the wee hours of the morning with the bar crowd and you're, you're not off on the trip with the people in business and, and going to go along with going where they go and doing what they do and telling the same jokes and laughing at the jokes and all those kind of things. You, you got something in your spirit. Your Holy Ghost will not allow you to do that. And there may well be some rejection. Come on, this is the real world that we live in. Can you say amen? But we are placed in this world not to be like this world and not to fall in suit with this world and not to join with this world, but we're to be the salt of the earth. We're to be a light in a dark world, the Bible says. And if we hide that light under a bushel, what benefit is it going to be to anybody in our world? So there might be rejection initially. And there was, for Stephen, there was rejection. They got angry. They rejected him. But he, he did not render evil for evil. Praise the Lord. But he rather overcame evil with good. Isn't that what Jesus told us to do? It is not render evil for evil, but overcome evil with good? Bible also said to pray for those that despitefully use you. It said to pray for your enemies. I'm going to just tell you, you don't know that you've really forgave somebody until you're able to pray for that person. That'll test your how just how much you've forgiven them and how much you're able to pray for them. You're able to walk up and down the aisles of the church and say, God, in your personal prayer, God, bless them, anoint them, elevate them, give completeness to their life. God, keep them and protect them and watch over them. Cause their life to flourish. Oh, praise the Lord. That's hard to do when you got ought against somebody. That's hard to do when you got something in your spirit against someone. But you know you got it out of your spirit if you can pray. And the Bible says that God began to change things for Job and begin to bless Job and reverse the curses that were on his life when he began to pray for his friends. We're talking about those that ridiculed him falsely, charged him falsely, uh, second-guessed his integrity and all of that, and yet when he prayed for him, 
When he prayed for him, the Bible says that things begin to turn around for Job. That's the true test. Whether or not I've forgiven someone. And the Bible said I can't get forgiveness until I'm willing to forgive. And the Bible says instead of rendering evil for evil, but he being filled with the Holy Ghost looked steadfastly into the heavens and saw the glory of God. They pushed him out of the city. What they were doing, as I begin to study about this, they were taking him to a place of execution to an area outside of town where they would stone criminals. And the tradition was in that day that if, if, if a person was tried and found guilty, the people that witnessed against him would be the first ones to take stones in their hand and to hurl them at the accused or at the guilty. And so they would go to a steep place outside the city, and uh, then they would somebody would come, push him down, and he would fall the 12 to 15 feet, as I read about it, down maybe a, a, a cliff or, or a steep hill into the rocks because there was a lot of stoning that went on there, and there was a lot of rocks that were down there below. And if the fall didn't break him up or knock him out or kill him or render him unconscious, then somebody would go and flip him over on his back. And then the first witnesses against him, the ones that was the accusers, would take stones and they would stone that, that person, that guilty individual. And so now, no doubt, they followed this same tradition and they began to throng him. The Bible says that they all came against him. In other words, uh, uh, as they were going through this little ritual that they did, these guys were so hasty to stone him that they didn't even wait for maybe the people that had brought accusation against Stephen to be the first ones. They just all started throwing stones at him. And the Bible says instead of defending himself, instead of telling them that he was not guilty, being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked steadfastly into the heavens and saw the glory of God. And they ran upon him, the Bible says, and they, they just began to go through this really gruesome way of execute, executing people. And as they stone him, the Bible says, calling upon God, Stephen, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, not, I'm not guilty, not, you shouldn't be doing this, not, please hear me out. But he cried with a loud voice. Everybody that was there and participating in this stoning heard it. He said with a loud voice, lay not this sin to their charge. Oh, what a Christian. What a, what a witness. There were those that were watching this. There was not just the people stoning him, but there were also outside witnesses, chiefly one that was not hurling stones but was definitely given authority to the others to do so, and they laid their coats at his feet because he was one of the most respected men of the law at that time, and that was Saul who would later become the Apostle Paul. He was watching everything that was going on. He was listening to everything that was taking place. And so he saw Stephen 
and he heard him say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Maybe that's what inspired him later as he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And he was talking about how that when a saint of God dies, when a saint of God dies, how it will be. And he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. Maybe that was what he was thinking of. Maybe he had that picture of Stephen in his mind saying, Lord, receive my spirit. And he watched him as he breathed his last breath, this saint of God, this man that held his integrity to the very end, this man that continued in faith to the very end, this man that never charged God foolishly or never fought against his accusers. The scripture says that Paul describes this event and tells it. He said, I received mercy. 1 Timothy 1.13, I obtained mercy because I did this ignorantly. I didn't know, but God has been so merciful to me. What are you trying to say, Brother Calhoun? I'm telling you the witness of Stephen by going through what he went through and facing what he faced with the spirit that he faced it with made a lasting impact upon a man that would become arguably the greatest apostle of the church, the Apostle Paul, made an impact upon He didn't realize that soon he would take up the mantle of Stephen and further preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He didn't realize it at that moment, but there was something that tugged at even this hard-hearted man's heart. And I realized that, that the very next chapter goes, and it goes on to say that he just went, went, went on breathing out threatenings and, and went on persecuting the church. But let me just tell you something. When God moves on somebody, just because it looks like they are becoming more vehement against it and fighting more so against it, that's often a good sign that God's dealing with them. So don't be discouraged by that. In some cases, you need to be encouraged because there's a spiritual battle that's going on. There's a spiritual tug-of-war that is taking place. That child that is resisting, that child that is fighting, that, that person that is, that is God's dealing with and they're resisting and fighting against it, it very well could be that God's dealing with them more than you know. And that's why that's why they've tried, to, they've tried to keep themselves active fighting against something that they know to be right. I don't believe that he ever got that image out of his mind of Stephen there and his countenance and what he looked up and, and saw the glory of God and, and the, the spirit that Stephen had was, was emanating uh, and it, it affected the Apostle Paul. It moved the Apostle Paul. That's, that's why later in the book of Romans, in, in chapter 15 and verse 26, he's taken up a collection, and this is not the only time he, he'd take up an offering. And he'd said, I want to take up, I want to take up an offering for the church at Jerusalem. 
Why do you want to take up an offering for the church at Jerusalem? You, you didn't start the church at Jerusalem. Matter of fact, uh, th- those folks, they don't even like you much because you persecuted them so fiercely that they don't maybe trust you at first. They didn't trust you initially. They questioned your conversion. He said, I want to take up an offering for the, he used the word poor saints, and he wasn't necessarily talking about monetarily. What he was talking about is, I know some of the things that they went through because they went through it at my hand. They went through it because I I was the one in charge, and I was the one leading in the persecution. And they went through it because I was the one initiating that. I was the one signing the documents that got the job done. I was the one that was making sure it got carried out. I was the one leading. I was zealous in persecuting the Jerusalem church. And I I got the image of Stephen in my mind. And I want to help those people. I want to help them. They're never going to be far from my heart because it was a man out of that Jerusalem church. It was a man out of that Jerusalem church that we that we persecuted and stoned that made an impact upon me and that touched my heart. I'm telling you, the world is watching your response. The world is watching your reaction to trials and circumstances of life and whether or not you put your faith in yourself or you put your faith in God. Whether or not you crumble under the pressures and, and, and all of us have pressures in life or you put your faith in God. They're watching. They're watching. They're watching. They are on the sidelines watching whether or not you quit and give up when adversity comes or you continually have faith and, and continue to plot on. You, you are faithful when, when things are not always going your way. You can, you're consistent and you keep your integrity and you don't charge God foolishly and you don't blow off steam when the pressure is on but you, you keep it all intact and you, I'm not talking about being perfect but I'm talking about being a witness for God I'm talking about being led of the Holy Ghost I'm talking about being a true child of God I'm talking about living by Christian principles Talking about being led of the Holy Ghost. People are watching. Amen. People are watching. Would you stand with me? I think I told the story once some years ago about Brother Marler, who's preached here and just recently preached here, he was a Bible school instructor for many years, and there was some young upcoming preachers, men that were in the Bible school that were being trained for the ministry, and Brother Marler had moved there to Indianapolis and gotten a house, and and uh, didn't have much furniture at first, and so he was out at a garage sale or auction or something, and found a good, a good whole set of living room furniture. 
and he purchased it. He, he bought the furniture, but he didn't have a truck. He didn't have a vehicle to move it with. And there was one of the students that came to school that had a pickup truck. And so he asked him, he said, why don't you get a couple of these other fellows? And he said, uh, why don't you uh, go and, and get that furniture, gave them the address, and then come back and deliver it. But he said, I'm telling you, I got a, I got a bargain on this furniture. This furniture, I, it should, it's worth a lot more money than I had to pay for it. And this is a good deal. I can never get a suit of furniture like this for this price. And he said, the only thing I ask you to do, he said, I want you to secure it. I want you to tie it down good. He said, you're going to be on the freeway. And he said, you need to make sure it's tied down every piece and uh, just take care of it. Don't scratch it and bum it all up. It's in good condition. That's the only thing I and I'll pay you. And so they said, oh, for you, Brother Marley, we'd do it. Let's got a few guys, and they went over and got it. And uh, they didn't listen real good when it came to the tying down and securing it part. And they piled that furniture up on that bed of that truck and started driving down the freeway. And when they got up to a good speed, as you might have already guessed, there was the biggest part of that furniture that uh, because it was kind of all interlocked together when some of it started falling off the truck, the biggest part of it fell off the truck. And out into the middle of the freeway, cars dodging, and when it hit the concrete, it splintered, and people was dodging the different pieces of furniture, and it was just tore up. And so you can imagine the dread that these young fellas had that they're going to have to face their instructor who gives them a grade at the end of the semester with the news that we have just destroyed this furniture that is the deal of all deals. and You're not going to be able to replace it for that price. and You've lost what money you've invested. And so they got up enough courage Went and knocked on the door. The driver of the truck said, I, I'm the one that was driving. I was the one that was in charge, so I'll be the one to tell him. And so they knocked on the door and told the story. Said, we just didn't tie it down good enough. And it just, we didn't, we didn't do what you said. That's just all there is to it, Brother Marlon. We're sorry. And because of the background that this young man had came from, he was expecting a good railing. He was expecting, he was really expecting to be rebuked and rebuked soundly. But he was surprised when Brother Marla looked at him and said, Well, son, he said, there's nothing to do now. It's what's done's done. He said, It's okay. And, uh, I accept your apology. There's nothing more you'll have to do to worry about it. You don't have to repay me. You don't have to do anything. Just just uh, forget it from here on. It's going to be okay. And Brother Marla went on, taught that young man for not just that year, for many years to come. And he didn't let it affect his judgment. Now, maybe when he had a, a 95.5 and there was a, question whether or not he could bump him up a point or just leave it, round it down or round it up, you know, or maybe he might have rounded down. I don't know. 
No. He never held it against him, never said another word to him in all the time that that boy was at school. Many years later, Brother Marler is preaching at a convention somewhere, and that man who is now a pastor of a church comes up to him and says, Brother Marler, he said, do you remember that load of furniture that we were supposed to deliver for you? He said, yes, sir, I, I vaguely remember that. He said, well, I was the owner of the truck. And he said, I was the one who had to come tell you that we had destroyed it all and lost it out in the middle of the freeway. And he said, let me just tell you something. He said, your response and your way of handling that situation forever impacted my life. And he said, in some way, he said, I know you won't understand it, but it's events that, just like this that have happened along my experience in God that has led to me being a pastor and a man of God today. Had you not handled that right, had you give me what I even deserved, he said, my emotions were so fragile at that particular time and my, my, uh, my emotions were so weak at that particular time. Had you railed on me or rebuked me, uh, it might have been that I would have quit school before I really even got started good. And I would not be where I am today. So I just want to thank you. You may have thought it was a small thing, but you proved to me that you were a true Christian that day. Can I tell you that the world is watching? And you may not even, you may never know till you get on the other side. You may never know till we're in heaven someday the impact that you made by some nice thing that you did, some way that you went out of your way and did something you didn't have to do for somebody. He said, when you give this to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Amen. When you give somebody that's thirsty a drink, you've done it unto me. When you give somebody that's hungry food to eat, you've done it unto me. When you, when you visit those that are incarcerated, you've, you've, you've done it unto me. Praise the Lord. Can I tell you that we're here today because of little acts of kindness like that, that, that made an impact upon our life, and it was the witness of that. Praise the Lord. Because life, there's a lot of things in life that can be cruel and that can be harsh. And when you can just be a breath of fresh air to somebody, when you can just show a little kindness to someone, it makes all the difference in the world. Would you slip up your hands to the Lord right now? Would you pray with me? Come on, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. The world is watching. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for this church. We want to be an impact to our city and our world. Our community is watching us. They're watching how we respond in life, how we act, our attitude, our spirit, our demeanor. God, I'm praying, Jesus, you'd help us in all of these things. In Jesus' name.